Well, we are a how-to generation. We want to know how to do things. And if you go, although I don't visit them very often anymore, if you go to a bookstore, one of the largest sections in a bookstore is the how-to section. And now you can Google just about anything, right, to find out how to do something. Uh, Just the other day, I had to fix something on Gracie's car. I looked it up on YouTube, and there was a video for it. So I followed the video, got it fixed. There's actually a website called ehow.com, and their slogan is how to do just about anything. That's their slogan. They've got over 150,000 how-to videos. You can check it out. Um, We like to know how to do things, and this morning's message is very much a how-to message. It is called How to Avoid the Mission Killers, and as we start our new year, uh, God's given us a mission, and as we begin, I want to talk about what we can do to avoid things that will absolutely kill the mission that God has given us. We know he's given us the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, 19, and 20, but we also see it in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The Great Commission, we are all missionaries in your school, in your office, in a factory, if you work in a factory, wherever you go for leisure, whatever you do in your daily life, we are all called to be missionaries of the gospel, to share the gospel whenever and wherever we can, to all nations, to our community. Now think about how much God has blessed us as a church, how much he's blessed us. Um, You know, even just uh, thinking about where we are right now, this building that we are, this building that's been renovated and even with the debt being paid down to under 200,000 in one year, from 700,000 to 200,000. I mean, that's totally your faithfulness and totally God's faithfulness, right? And we think about uh, the new folks that we have coming in, the, the number of families we've had joined just in the past couple of months. We're constantly adding to the family of God. We think about the mission efforts that we've had this year. I mean, we've sent a group to Ukraine. We've sent a, I mean, not Ukraine, to, uh, we've helped, we've, we helped the Ukrainian refugees in town. We got the opportunity to do that. Uh, we sent uh, a group to Ecuador. We sent a team to Nepal. Uh, we support uh, the cooperative program, Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, and, and several other things. I mean, there's been several things this year. I mean, there have been times this year uh, something's come up, and I've thought, surely we can't add something else. But uh, because of your generosity and faithfulness to the Lord, we, every time something comes up, you are giving church, and we've been able to do that. God's blessed us with opportunities to serve people, to share the gospel, to reach out outside the walls of our church. And going beyond that, we are a member of the Southern Baptist Convention, and we think about what all is done through the convention. And, and even with the ups and downs that we've had, we still, in my opinion, do missions better than anybody. Uh, the network that's available and, and just the, the number of things that we support through the Southern Baptist Convention. We are one of 47,614 SBC churches. We're one of many in the United States alone. There were 154,701 baptisms reported by SBC churches. This is all 2021. The 2022 numbers aren't in yet. 
But in 2021, 154,701 baptisms. And when we look at all the giving to the cooperative program, designated monies for the cooperative program for the fiscal year 2020-2021, which that, those are numbers, that's a figure. What do we do with that? Well, just think about, just focus on foreign missions alone. There's, there's tons of stuff domestically, but just foreign missions alone. And again, numbers for 2022 aren't in yet, but 2021, overseas SBC missionaries, there are 3,532 overseas missionaries. There were 176,795 new believers reported by overseas missionaries, SBC missionaries this year. 107,701 new baptisms that year. 22,744 new overseas churches were planted in 2021 alone. And there are 11,984 people groups that have been engaged through foreign missions in the SBC. I mean, you know, God blesses us with opportunities in this church. And even just by giving to things like the cooperative program, we take part in sharing the gospel in our community, outside our community, and around the world. I mean, God is faithful. And if we choose to take part in the Great Commission, he will honor that and he will bless that. Jesus died for the world and he is moving all over the world and he's given us an opportunity to participate in that in numerous ways in this church. Now, this church is a wonderful church. I love being the pastor of this church. I love you dearly. And, and I, I love what God is doing here, and I, I'm, I'm anxiously anticipating what God is going to do in the future here. But we have to be careful, because there are some mission killers on the loose. Um, and they, they are ready to kill the mission. If we don't watch out, if we're not on guard, they will kill the mission that God has given this church and, and God wants to do a great work. He wants to do a new thing. But if we let these mission killers, they will choke out the life of this church. And they will choke out the mission that God has for us. We're going to be at Luke chapter 9 this morning. And when we look at Luke chapter 9, this is a critical time uh, for the apostles. Jesus is training the apostles. It won't be long before he goes to the cross. And he won't be with them in person anymore. He's training them to carry on the mission that he's begun on earth. And when he gets to this point, when we get to this point, they, are, they, they face some challenges. They are going to be his witnesses to the world to carry on this mission. And, and like the apostles, we are called to carry on the mission that Jesus started. We are right now... In, in the midst of carrying out the Great Commission, and we should be training another generation to come after us. Hopefully we are. But Luke 9, when we look at Luke chapter 9, we can identify three mission killers that the apostles are facing and that we face today that want to destroy the mission that we are called to carry out. Now, luckily, we have their names. We have their DNA. We've got their fingerprints. We know everything we need to know about these mission killers so that we can avoid them. 
A lack of love in the life of the believer is at the heart of all three of these mission killers. And we're going to identify them this morning. The first mission killer. This is our first mission killer. And the first thing that will kill the mission of the church is if we stop loving other believers. All right? Stop loving other believers. I'll write it here. It's on the screen as well. Y'all just have to bear with my handwriting. See, this mission killer already has a bullet hole in him. (laughs) Make sure I spell this right. I'm not a... Or stop loving each other. That's number one. We'll start with each other. Sorry. (laughs) Other believers is next. We'll get to him in a minute. If we stop loving each other, and this is so very important, all right? This is something that if we're not careful, we will take for granted. We think, hey, you know, we're all believers. We have the love of Christ. And when we're in a loving church like we are, it's easy to take this for granted. Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 48. Let's look at this. An argument broke out, started among among them about who was the greatest. This is the apostles, the disciples. But Jesus, knowing their inner thoughts, took a little child and had him stand next to him. He told them, whoever welcomes this little child in in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. For whoever is least among you, this one is great. So a a dispute breaks out among the disciples. And this right here, uh, not loving each other, (laughs) is Satan's number one mission killer in the life of a church. If we stop loving each other. So a fight breaks out with the disciples. Who's the greatest? And, And this can so easily happen in a church. It would amaze us. And we've gone through a series on the armor of God, spiritual warfare. It would amaze us if we had spiritual eyes to see what is happening in the spiritual realm right now. The fight that's being waged among spiritual forces that we can't see with our eyes. And it's probably in some ways better that we can't. It would terrify us. But we need to be aware of it. And we need to to realize that Satan's goal for those who are in Christ, he cannot have your soul, but he can destroy the mission that you've been sent on. He can destroy what we have in the life of the church, the love, the unity, uh, the the unity in mind, focus, mission, uh, and even our, our dependence, our faith in God. He can destroy that if we allow him to. In verse 46 What we see here, even if it's for a brief time, the disciples stopped loving each other. Why would Christians who share the love of Christ, who are going to spend eternity in heaven with each other and with Christ, fight and not get along? Why would Christians do that? It happens, but why? Well, we don't have to guess because James chapter 4 verse 1 tells us the reason this happens. What is causing quarrels? That means a long battle. And fights, it means short spats. So long fights and short fights. What causes these things among you? And here's the answer. Don't they come from the evil desires at war in you? I mean, we have, we are saved, those of us who are in Christ, but we have that constant battle going on between the new nature and the old nature, the flesh. 
putting off, constantly having to choose to put off the old things and put on the new things. And because of that war, sometimes we succumb to the flesh, and that is the source of quarrels and fights that break out amongst us. There are 47,614 SBC churches in the United States. And this is a few years old, but the most recent stat that I saw says that 70% of those SBC churches are either plateaued or declining. Why is that happening? Well, because of this mission killer right here. There are a lot of symptoms, but it boils down to that. We start focusing on ourselves and we stop focusing on Christ and focusing on putting others' needs above ourselves. Jesus responds to the apostles fighting by using a visual illustration, which I love, of course. And now in the Roman and Jewish society, nothing was lower than a child, okay? I mean, they, they were considered lower than low. And so he uses a child here. And, and Children were loved, they were cherished, but they weren't considered important in society. Nothing could be gained um, from, from associating with children other than you know, raising them and loving them as you should. They were just considered to be low. So Jesus takes this child and uses it. The Talmud regarding spending time with children to be a waste of time. One rabbi wrote this, he said, Morning sleep, midday wine, chattering with children and tearing in places where men of common people assemble, destroy a man. That was the view of children in this day and time. Keeping company with children, according to this Hebrew culture, added absolutely nothing to a man. And because of this, Jesus uses a child as an illustration to speak volumes to this principle of loving each other. In one sense, Jesus was saying that, they were, that how they related to a child... And by implication, anybody who was considered lowly, how they related to those who were lowly indicated whether or not they truly loved God. And it was an indication of how they related to God. How we treat the outcasts of society will show whether or not we are sincere in our devotion to God and whether or not we truly love God. That's certainly one thing he was saying. But another thing Jesus, I believe, was saying here, he uses this child... As an example, because a child is humble and trusting. You know, it's not till years later life kind of makes us callous. We lose innocence. Small children are humble. They are trusting. And they are easy to, to have faith, to give faith. Here's what Jesus is saying. In order to avoid this mission killer of a lack of love for each other, we need to have a childlike faith. Not be childish but have a childlike faith and have a childlike attitude. And there's a difference. We need to be childlike. Childishness says, hey, if I don't get my way, I'm just going to take my toys and go home. If this church doesn't do what I want, I'll go somewhere else. But childlikeness says, hey, not everything that we're do is, we do is going to be something that I like. And I'm okay with that because we will do things that I like. And I know that some of the things that I may not understand, I'm going to support and I'm going to get behind it because we are all on the same mission. We're united in our hearts and minds, focused on the Lord, and we're going to follow where he leads, even if we don't understand. 
I mean, how many times did the Israelites have to do that? And they failed many times. We've got those lessons too. But I mean, just the disciples alone, how many times did Jesus ask them to do something that they thought was crazy? How many times did he have to teach them over and over again? The greatest is least. The least is the greatest. That was contrary to their human reasoning. We have to have a childlike faith and a childlikeness about us as we relate to others. Now, if you're visiting here today, you may think something's wrong in this church, and that's why I'm preaching this message. There's not. Okay, this is, as I've said, a loving church. It is a gracious church, and I believe we're united in our mission to move forward. But we have to protect that. We have to guard that. And that's why it's necessary to talk about these things. Because if we aren't on our guard against these mission killers, we will succumb to their attacks. We have to be careful. Now let's look at it this way. You know, we, when we come together and we love each other, despite our differences of opinions, preferences, whatever... When that happens and the world sees that, they know there's something unique about what we have. There's something special about what we have because you won't get that anywhere else. In a group this size, I mean, we've been averaging somewhere between 180 and 200, which is great because it's our highest average since COVID, and that's wonderful. But in a room with 200 people, guess what? We're not all going to like the same things, whether it's music, a ministry that we're doing, whatever we're eating on Wednesday night when we eat together, whatever the case is. I mean, we're, we're not going to like the same things, but when we come together, despite our differences and are united in mission, united in love for Christ and love for each other, the world will take notice. A lost person looks at the world around him. He sees war Across the globe, he sees strife at home. He sees all of the things going on economically, all of the problems. He, he has a difficult job where people don't get along. Maybe his family life is not great and people don't get along. That's his life, right? And we all experience that on some level, whether it's, even, whether it's something at home or just stress about what's going on around the world or in our country. Why in the world would that lost person want to come to church and experience the same thing? If we don't have love, if we're not united, despite our differences by the Holy Spirit, then we can't attract people and get the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Greatness is being on our knees at the feet of our master. True greatness is the antithesis of pride and exclusivity. Others first, Jesus first, that has to be our heart. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't get this. And why are things so upside down? I mean, think about it this way, all right? The difference, and just bear with me, the difference between dogs and cats, all right? Now, if you're a cat lover, I'm sorry. I'm not dissing cats, but if you know cats, this is a little bit true, all right? An owner pets his dog, feeds his dog. The dog looks at him, wags his tail, and says, he must be God. A cat, you pet a cat, feed a cat. The cat purrs and thinks, I must be God. (laughs) Y'all laughing because you know that's true, right? What happens, unfortunately, in the life of a believer, many times, God loves us. He blesses us. And in our distorted 
view, we begin to think we are the most important being in the universe, that it's all about us. And that's the danger. But Jesus is saying, no, look at this child. This is the lowest in society. You have to be childlike to achieve greatness in my kingdom. And that's the same, that same principle is true for us. 2022, the number one top five Google searches in 2022. The first was Wordle, I guess, entertainment. Okay. All right. Number two was the election results in the United States. No surprise there, right? But number three, four, and five, I think, are very telling. Maybe one and two are as well, but three, four, and five. Number three was Betty White, who passed away at the end of last year. Number four, Queen Elizabeth, right? She passed away this year, her life, her legacy, her death. And number five was Bob Saget. All three passed away. Why do people search for those things? Because we're concerned about sickness and death. If you look at the top news searches, Ukraine was at the top. I mean, war, famine, all of those things concern us. We're concerned about death. We're concerned about sickness in this world. We're concerned about getting sick. And the USDA a few years ago put out something, and I think I've shared a version of this before, but it's been a while. Nine things in your home that you least likely expect can make you sick because they're filled with germs. So I know everybody's going to go home and do some cleaning after this. (laughs) On the list, salt and pepper shakers. I mean, think about it. How often do you clean your salt and pepper shakers? Another, doorknobs. How often do you clean your doorknobs? The keys on your computer, your laptop, whatever. It's a good idea to wipe those down. But the number one germ catcher with 20 million microbes in it, the number one germ catcher in your home is the kitchen sponge. And we wipe our dishes with it. We wipe the counters with it. And it's just filled with germs. But we're a how-to generation, right? So how do you get rid of the germs in your sponge? Take it, pop it in the microwave for one minute, kills the germs. So there you go. Before you clean all that other stuff today, when you go home, take your sponge or whatever you're cleaning, pop it in the microwave for a few minutes, dampen it, pop it in the microwave, and you'll clean that off. You know, none of us want to be sick physically. None of us want to be sick Christians either. And if we're going to avoid being sick In our walk with Christ and in the church, we have to watch out for this first mission killer. A lack of love for each other is when the heart is filled with the germs of pride and selfishness, and it will kill the mission. The number one thing that kills the mission of the church is when we stop loving each other. We become sick with hate. You know why the sponge is the number one germ catcher? I think because it absorbs so well. It just soaks up everything that you want it to soak up, but then if you don't clean it later, it just becomes, you know, a germ distributor. And if we soak up the world, if we soak up pride, selfishness, hate, we will become sick as believers. Our mission is in danger when we stop loving each other. And now you already know the second mission killer because I got ahead of myself. The second mission killer is when we stop loving other believers. A lack of love for other believers.
I before E. I don't have spell check up here. Other believers, well, we've talked about other believers, right? Well, we've talked about each other inside the church, but what about other believers outside of the church? Look at the next couple of verses here, 49 and 50. John responded, Master, we saw something, someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow us. That's a key phrase. Don't stop him, Jesus told him, because whoever is not against you is for you. Verse 49 The Bible doesn't say this guy wasn't following Christ. He just wasn't following them. And Jesus' words tell us that maybe they were doing things a little different, but they were definitely following Christ. And we're talking about other believers, other followers of Christ, and other churches, even other denominations. We may not agree with everything they do, but if they are sharing the gospel, if they are telling the lost about Jesus, about salvation through Christ alone, then we should be glad when they're winning people to Christ. If they're teaching people how to live for Christ in a world that's lost and broken, discipling them in the faith, then we should be excited about that. Jesus said if someone else is truly saved and doing the work of Christ, he says don't get in their way. Don't stop them. He doesn't say join them. And that's important because doctrinal differences are important, okay? We, every believer, every church needs to know what they believe about God, about salvation, about the Bible. And there are differences in different denominations. And I grew up a Southern Baptist, but I'm a Southern Baptist now after going through seminary, studying, studying our history, studying what we believe and why we believe it. I'm a Southern Baptist because we're not perfect, but I believe we have more accurately interpreted those doctrines than some others. But I have friends that are of other denominations. I have guys that I know even within the Southern Baptist Convention that disagree with me on doctrinal issues, but I still love them. And I still support them. They're doing great things for the kingdom of God. We don't have to agree, and I don't have to join them in what they're doing, but I can support them in what they're doing. I can pray for them. I can encourage them. And I can be excited when they win people to the Lord and disciple them in the Lord. We have differences, but that doesn't mean we should compete against each other. And when we see a church doing well, our human nature says, well, they must be doing something wrong. They're just entertaining people over there. That's, that does happen, but a lot of times that's not the case. They're doing well because they're following the mission. They're united in love for each other, and they're fulfilling what God has in store for them. And they're being obedient. And God's blessing that, and God's honoring that. We've seen how God's blessed this church in the past, and I believe he wants to bless this church in the future. We need to have love for each other, and we need to have love for others in the kingdom of God. We are all on the same team. <laughs> if we believe that Jesus died for our sins, that salvation is available through him, through no one else but Jesus Christ and him alone, and we follow his will, his word that he's given to us. If we believe those key truths about God, about salvation, about his word, then we are on the same team, and we should support others who are on the same team. We are to love inside the walls of the fellowship, And we are to love believers outside the walls of the church because the lost world is watching not only how we love each other inside the church, but how believers love each other outside the church as well. They'll know my disciples, Jesus said, by your love for one another, not just your love for members of Wall Highway, 
Yes, that's important. But love for other believers. That's our second mission killer. The mission of our church will also be killed when we stop loving lost people. We have to love the lost. This is our third deadly mission killer. We stop loving lost people. Jesus loved the lost. He died for the lost. And he calls us to love them as well. Look at verses 51 through 56. When the days were coming to close to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of himself. And on the way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for them. But they did not welcome him because he was determined to journey to Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, the sons of thunder, when they saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But he turned and he rebuked them, Jesus did. And they went to another village. So the apostles run into some folks that don't want to accept Jesus. And any of us are frustrated when that happens, right? We're called to share the gospel And we have a hard time trusting that that the results are in God's hands. We just need to be faithful to share. And a lot of times people will reject that. That happens to the apostles. And what's James and John's response? Let's just call down fire and burn them up. Simple way to think of this, it's the burn them up attitude. And I think we've probably all fallen victim to that, right? We, We get frustrated with the lost, with how they live. We share the gospel, they reject it. And we just want to call down the wrath of God. Never mind the fact that it's only by grace that we're not experiencing the wrath of God. But that's, that can be our attitude. And that certainly was James and John's attitude. But Jesus wants all to be saved. He didn't come to destroy. He came to save. And the only reason he's waiting right now is because everybody that's supposed to be saved hasn't been saved yet. And when that happens, he'll return. But his desire, the Bible's clear, is that all men be saved. Now, he doesn't force that on men. Men can reject that, and plenty do. But his heart is that all those who are lost will be saved. And that should be our heart as well. We should love the lost. We should desire that they come to know Christ. And when they reject the gospel, then we have to leave that in the hands of God. Because it's not we don't save ourselves. We are the messengers. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit saves. We are responsible for loving those who are lost, not living like the lost, but loving those who are lost and sharing the gospel and leaving the results to God. Now, we are called to live in the world. We're called not to love the world or to live like the world. We aren't to sin like they do, but we sure are to love them like Jesus does. You know why saved people do the things that, that they do, live the way that they do? Well, the reason is simple. They're lost. You know, a lot of times we invite unsaved folks to church and we expect them to behave just like saved folks, which isn't always a good thing, right? But we expect them to have it all together, to live like they're supposed to live. But if you're lost, you don't know how to do that. You can't do that without the Holy Spirit living in and through you. The only reason any of us can is because the Holy Spirit's living through us, giving us the power, the ability, the strength from day to day to do that. And so we love them. We don't condone lost behavior, but we love those who are lost. And Jesus 
He never liked sin. He never condoned sin. But he always loved the lost. He saved them and he set them on the right path and strengthened them for that path. He never left somebody where he found them if they were willing to accept him. He never loved the sin, but he does, did and he does love sinners. He loves lost people. He was out amongst the lost people, sharing that love. He bled and he died on a cross for lost people. The Bible has not called us to make lost people live like saved people. It calls us to share the love of Jesus with them, show them how to be saved first, and how Jesus can transform their lives and disciple them in that. But guess what? We, we're not the ones who do the transforming. It's the Holy Spirit that does the transforming. Yes, we disciple them. Yes, we pour into them. We teach them. We show them by the way that we live. We intentionally teach them with words, with God's word. But we show them Jesus, and he transforms their lives. And then they'll behave like, behave like saved people. Here's the bottom line. All three of these mission killers stop loving each other, stop loving other believers, and if we stop loving lost people, these three mission killers only take place when we stop loving Jesus. Because if we love Jesus, he's clear about this, we will love each other within the church. We will love other believers outside the church, and we will love lost people that he came to die for, to save. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 38. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love God. And then the second greatest commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. Tokyo, there was a story that came out, it's been several years ago now, but there was a Japanese soldier who hid in the Philippine jungle for three decades. Three decades he lived out in the jungle. Why would he do that? Well, he refused to believe that World War II was over. So he stayed out in the jungle. And finally, they sent his former commander to him to tell him, yes, in fact, the Japanese did surrender. Three decades he stayed out in the jungle, refusing to surrender. And he was asked, his name was, I'm going to mispronounce it, but Hiru Onoda, Onoda he stayed in, in this jungle until 1974. Somebody finally persuaded him that peace broke out, and he was asked at a press conference after he finally came out what he had been thinking about for the previous 30 years. And here's what he said. He said, carrying out my orders. He continued to carry out his orders. Now, misguided, certainly he was, right? But you've got to be impressed with the guy's faithfulness. You've got to be impressed with his dedication. Now, we as believers, we have our orders. We have our mission. God has given us our orders. He's given us our mission the only question that we can ask ourselves or that we need to ask ourselves is this. Will we be faithful to carry out our orders? Think about it this way. Maybe a war analogy is not hitting home with you. Most of us grew up and played on a sports team at some point, right? Or we participated in PE in school. And we all wanted to be on the team. Especially in PE, you didn't want to be the last person picked, right? 
But we all wanted to be on the team. I played baseball growing up, and I, I loved being on the team. The uniform, the whole nine yards. Just being on the team was great. But more than that, I wanted to be in the game. I wanted to be in the game, playing, contributing, participating. Now, as believers, we're all on the team. Whether in this church, outside the church, if we are followers of Christ, we are on the team. But we have the choice. We don't have, I mean, Jesus has already selected you to get into the game, but we have to make the choice to get in the game. We're on the team, so I'll leave you with this last question. If you're a follower of Christ, you're on the team, but are you in the game? Are you loving other believers inside the walls of this church? Are you loving believers outside the walls of this church? And are you loving the loss and participating in the great commission that God has called us all to? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what you've done to make it possible to be a part of your family. Jesus, your death on the cross, your resurrection, because of your sacrifice, we can be in your family. We can be saved, freed from sin. And we can be on the mission that you've called all believers to, the great commission of taking your gospel, the good news of salvation, to the world. And there's so many different ways we can participate in that. But first, we have to be in your family. We have to be saved to participate in that. And I pray that if there's somebody here today who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would come during this time of decision and find out how to make that most important decision they will ever make, accepting the salvation that you alone offer. For those of us who know you, Lord, I pray that we will be serious about the mission that you've called us to, that we won't take for granted what you've freed us from and what you've given us through salvation, and that we would dedicate our lives to fulfilling your mission, and that we would not allow the mission killers to choke that out. Whatever we need to do to stay on guard, I pray that we would. Lord, I just pray that you would speak during this time of decision. Show us what you want us to do, where you want us to go from here, how we need to respond to the word that we've received today. And may we do it with obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand for our time of decision?